All right, good morning again, Christ Community Church. If you would turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 4, verses 10 through 27, as we will hear the sixth and seventh lectures from the book of Proverbs this morning. And the key truth that I want us to walk away with is this, is that God's wisdom is a way of life to be protected and to be intentionally cultivated in and through our redeemed bodies. Let me say that again. God's wisdom is a way of life to be protected and to be intentionally cultivated in and through our redeemed bodies. If you would give your attention to the reading of God's word this morning, this is Proverbs 4, 10 through 27. Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of, of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence." But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we step into these two lectures this morning, the first being in verses 10 through 19 and the second in 20 through 27, what we're going to notice is, is the teacher is beginning to move from just didactic classroom conversation about knowledge more and more into turning this over to the student to live out. And the emphasis from here is going to be on the embodied nature of both uh, sin and wisdom, and the necessity for us to engage uh, those things with a recognition of how it affects us in our redeemed bodies. And we're going to see, in essence, in, this, in the seventh lecture, which is in the second half, what, what uh, Hubbard has called the anatomy of discipleship, that we, we have to use, we have to engage with the fullness of our senses, uh, we have to cultivate physically, so that it's not just some sort of ephemeral, esoteric set of philosophies or ideologies, something that doesn't affect how we live on a day-to-day -day basis, but instead is, a, is a, a, um, an incarnated reality. And so uh, as, we, as we hear more and more about this and just the intimate nature with which we are to engage with these things, that, that language is going to increase over uh, the rest of uh, the, inter the chapters 5 through 9. Uh, we want to get a taste of it here and begin to put some building blocks in place as we go on. But my first question for us, I, I think, is an, an important question and is uh, 
pretty, a, a big key to our struggle with temptation. It's a big key to our, how intentional we are about things. But are, are you more prone to wander in curiosity or be intentional and watchful in what you engage in and study? Let me put this in practical terms. Let's talk about the internet. Uh, are you more prone when you're on the internet to just kind of wander around going from link to link but based on whatever rubric has been designed for you, thrown up, uh, uh, whether it's on YouTube or Facebook or Amazon or whatever it may be, are you just kind of drifting about, right, being controlled by your curiosity or are you intentioned and careful Making sure that, that what you take in is actually edifying, uplifting, and builds you up. Not just, not just entertaining, not just infuriating, not just uh, mindlessness, or even tempting to the point of causing you to sin. Now, that's only one place. We do it in other places as well. As one who loves books, this can occur certainly within the realm of reading. As one who loves movies and, and television shows, that can occur in that realm as well. It can occur just in life, right? And these are categories, actually, that Augustine came up with to try to help people understand. You don't, you don't want to just be curious. You don't want to just be unintentioned and thoughtless, which is really what the, the teacher in Proverbs has been trying to get us to get our heads around is there must be an intentionality to how we live. We have to protect the wisdom that has been granted to us, and we have to do that in an embodied fashion. There's no, there's no spiritual, physical divide, right? And we're going to see even in that seventh lecture is that it begins internally, but it has to have external manifestation. It has to work itself out in how we talk and what we look at and where we go and what we do. And so it's important that we recognize the, within ourselves whether or not we are, we are given more to curiosity, right? And just kind of letting things come to us or are we more intentioned about how we grow and cultivate and move about uh, the world that God has created with a healthy fear of the Lord so that we would become righteous, just, and equitable. Those things do not happen accidentally and they do not occur just based on curiosity. So as we step into uh, lecture number six in verses 10 through 19, let's see the call to persevere in wisdom's way. Hear, my son, and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. Again, this repetition is very important to us. That is good teaching, good pedagogy. And so the thing, yet again, that's being emphasized is wisdom leads to life and life more abundant, which, by the way, is the, the longing to live and live more fully is something that, that I hear almost in everyone, regardless of belief system. There's this longing to want to be more alive. There's this longing for things to be different in the, than they are in order for people to be able to live more fully, right? It's been one of the, one of the difficulties of the, of the pandemic is, is the ways in which we've lost various avenues or, or situations in which we were used to being alive. It's caused us to think about things in a different way. And so, Again, he's, he's making sure that the student recognizes he's talking about life. He's not talking about um, something in the ivory tower. He's not talking about something that is divorced from life. But this is the means by which you are more fully alive. He says, I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. 
And here what we hear is the echo of Deuteronomy 6, right? Where, where, where the, the parents are called on to keep in front of their children the word and the ways and, the li- and life in the Lord. And they're to do that when they sit down, when they lay down, when they walk. They need to keep it on the gate. They need to keep it ever before them. And so what the teacher is saying here is, I have trained you up. And now I'm turning it over to you to live out. When you walk right? Uh, your step will not be hampered. If you, if you walk in wisdom, there's the, you won't be kept from uh, gaining life more abundant. And he even says, if you run, you will not stumble. So it's this maturing progression that we see here where the teacher is now moving out of the classroom into the real world and turning these things over to the student to live out and take responsibility for. Remember, Uh, Don't forget the language uh, of the student is that this student is an heir, an heir of something incredibly valuable that must be cultivated, but not just cultivated for themselves, but for the coming generations. And so there's a lot that's at stake here. And he goes on, keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her for she is your life. And again, this is the reminder. This has to be protected. It is, there's a fragility to it. Uh, there is a sense in which it can degrade, and we see this. We see this in our own lives to, to where when we don't maintain things, and I notice this in all of us, when, when our prayer lives degrade, uh, our, our devotions degrade, our, our attendance and attentiveness to worship degrades, it's interesting to watch how much of it, that affects. And where I see it most is it affects relationship usually with God, Right? Usually God gets blamed in some way, shape, or form for being absent when it really is us who aren't showing up, who aren't leaning in attentively, who, aren't have, who don't call for the eyes to see and the ears to hear. And then it begins to have an effect on the relationship with the church and the fellowship and community of the saints. This is, a, this is an important warning for us. I, I see it often. And when people begin to struggle and pull away, it's very interesting. They don't want to talk about it. And they don't want to engage in it. Well, that's, that's not healthy or good. And so we, we, we have to stay attentive, right? It's not, it's not that the Lord will make us attentive. It is our responsibility to keep hold of and guard the deposit which we have been given. And then he says, do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. And what's interesting about this is, is and I, I was guilty of this and can still be guilty of this, I'm sure, is oftentimes when I'm tempted uh, by something and, and see the way of the wicked and am tempted to go that way, whatever it may be, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I frequently pray, right? But what I often do is I pray full stop. Well, that's not what this says. To, to pray and then not act in wisdom is to have not prayed at all, is, is foolishness. See, I, I think we need to understand that when we pray, part of what we're praying is, Lord, use us as the vessel by which this prayer could be answered. Whatever that may, may cost us, whatever that may mean for us, whatever that may gain us. And so he's making it very clear that it's, it's and, and even in uh, 1 Corinthians 10 in the New Testament, where Um, Paul says, every temptation that befalls you, the Lord is gracious to provide the way out. Notice what it didn't say. The Lord is gracious to make you take that way. No, 
He provides the means by which you do not have to fall into sin based on temptation, but you must take the way. You must be looking for it. So this is a, a critical thing for us that we must be actually active in putting sin to death. In the fancy theological term is mortify or mortification. We are to be active in mortifying our sin. So we have to identify what are the things that tempt me? What are some of the places where I go where temptation is the strongest? And, and what plan do I need to cultivate? What habits, what activities do I need to cultivate to get away from those things? I am easily distracted by YouTube. Uh, I, I'm easily distracted. Not even like really bad stuff or crazy stuff. It could be videos about birds, bird feeders for crying out loud. Uh, and I can, I can lose an hour or two quickly uh, in, on any given day when other things need to be done. And so it's important for me, if I know that that is my temptation, that if I get on YouTube and it's, it's, it's offering me all these different opportunities to learn about the various birds in my yard and the various seeds they need to eat or the various flowers that I've planted or whatever it may be to grow in knowledge of some kind, it is important that I recognize if, if, that's, not, if that's not a dedicated hour, if I don't have time for that, I need to stay away from that. And that's a small one but it's a habit that has to be formed. It's not accidental that I find myself on YouTube. I don't stumble and hit the button, right? Um, but oftentimes we are um, just curious and we're just wandering about and we're not careful about the places that we go and how we use our time. And so it's, it's, it, while that's a small example, you can extrapolate that to any number of things. There's things of actual greater um, potential harm, places that we could go, things that we get into. We know where they are. We shouldn't act as if we don't know. We shouldn't act as if it's God's responsibility to keep us from going there, right? You wouldn't like God if he was constantly hemming you in in such a way uh, that, that he was the one pushing you left and right. You wouldn't worship that God. But God in his grace says, look, I'm going to give you wisdom. I'm going I'm to indwell you with the Holy Spirit in union with Christ. I'm going to give you a way out of every temptation that you will face. Now the question is, will you be looking for it? Will you even recognize what is sin and what isn't? See, that's oftentimes a problem for us is that there are things that are evil that we call good. And there are things that are good that we call evil that we avoid and, and, and shouldn't. And so we need to be careful that we are rightly identifying what is actual temptation for us, what is sinful for us, what is evil and then be active in looking for how God is calling us to, to, to navigate away from those things, to be active in prayer, but be even more active in participating in the answer to that prayer. Next thing he does is he shows how intimate and, and deep the clutches of sin. Listen to this. He says, for they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble, for they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. So what he's saying here, and this is a progression on when he discussed the wicked in chapter one, he's showing that this is beginning to shape their desires. This is beginning to shape how they live. They can't, they can't sleep. They, they only want to consume the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of vodka. They can't even enjoy good meals. All of the, the, the gifts that the Lord gives to the righteous, which these are talked about in Psalms, that, that the righteous are granted sleep. 
that we are able to go to sleep because we recognize that God takes care of the world. Like uh, Eugene Peterson talks about this a good bit in his theology of sleep, that one of the great things about us going to sleep is, is a confession that God is sovereign and we are not. And that the world can be taken care of for ever how long it is that we're asleep. And God grants sleep as a gift uh, to, to the finished work, a well-done, good and faithful servant on a given day. These folks don't have that. Their, their desire is keeping them up. And, and we've all experienced this in some form or fashion where sinful things have kept us up. And it almost felt like it would be easier to engage in it, get it over with, so you could actually go to sleep. That's not true. Don't believe that. And it also is, is to be unsatisfied with the provision from God's hand. They think that they need to eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. So this is what they're producing for themselves. And so they don't get the joy of knowing God as protector, sovereign protector and provider. This is why they have no fear of the Lord. But the path of the righteous is like the like is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. So for those of us who, who walk in wisdom, it, it, it grows, right? Like he says, it gets brighter and brighter as you go along the way. And I've experienced this. The, the more that I walk in the truth of Scripture, the more that I engage in prayer and worship, it, it seems to get brighter and brighter as it goes. The opposite is also true as I disengage from those things and find myself just curiously wandering about the sinful places it gets darker and darker, which is, he describes here, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. It's a felt darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. What's interesting here is that this could be an allusion to the issue of the cornerstone, right? They don't even see that they're essentially stumbling over Jesus. The very thing that could save them, they cannot see, and they trip over it. Uh, and, and, and they are unable to, to know Christ as Savior because they have chosen to walk in such deep darkness. And it robs them of life and life more abundant. Listen to what Raymond Ortland says about this passage. He says, the wise father, the sage in Proverbs 4, is warning us that we will be tempted. And behind every temptation is an overwhelming power of darkness and despair. This we need to take seriously, church, that, that sin is powerful and it, it, it can take over the whole of your life. It can rob you of all that is good. And too often we're treating sin as if it doesn't have the kind of power that Ortland's talking about here or that the, the uh, teacher in Proverbs is talking about. Listen to how he concludes. He says, so let's realize how much is at stake in what we choose. And the best defense is a good offense our hope in Christ. So it's better that we would be proactive about things, proactive about the things that tempt us, proactive about the things that encourage us, proactive about engaging in what's going to bring life more abundant and what could cost us that. And so uh, my question for us is, how have you experienced life more fully as you walk in the way of wisdom? We, and we need to testify to this. Other people need to hear of the good things, the ways in which the Lord is good as we walk in wisdom. But we also have to remember that, that, that is, it is an ongoing necessity and reality to be protected and maintained. Just because it, something good happened here one time doesn't mean it's always going to happen that same way. 
doesn't mean that's even what you need. So we have to trust what the Lord brings into our path, but trust Him to be good and hope in Christ ultimately. But part of that is to remember. We have to cultivate our sacred memory of the ways in which walking in wisdom has been good for us. And then what are you most frequently tempted by? We have to name it. We have to know what these things are so that we, we can not leave doors just slightly cracked open to pass back through curiously, wandering about. And then of what you know that you're tempted by, what is it you're actually doing to avoid it? Because that requires active engagement. You can't just leave it to, to you know, if the Lord doesn't want me to do it, then he'll make sure I don't go near it. No, that's not how God works. And you don't want to be that kind of puppet. You wouldn't worship the God who controls that strictly. Um, and so it's important that we see he is entrusting some things to us so that we can grow and mature and taste and see that he is good. All right, let's turn back to the text and see in verses 20 through 27, the call to attentively listen and embody wisdom, which is the seventh lecture. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. We've heard this before. This is an important reminder it is our responsibility to listen, to know that there is something good being said, to know where to, to lean in, to know when words of life are being spoken to help us grow in our fear of the Lord. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. Notice he talked about the ear and the eye and the heart here. So this is an embodied process that we are engaging in by which we are cultivating and protecting and, and furthering wisdom. Notice he mentions the heart twice. And when something is mentioned uh, more than once or more than other categories, it's important for us to pay close attention. Now, one of the reasons he mentions the heart is remember, that's the thing that the Lord transforms. He speaks of it in Ezekiel and Jeremiah and even in the New Testament that he transforms our hearts from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. He writes his law on our hearts. But that's not, that's not the full completed story. It's not dissimilar to when Adam and Eve were entrusted with creation. In Genesis chapter 2, much of the description of the garden was actually raw materials. It was finished in the sense that God was finished with the portion that he was engaged in, but there was still work yet to be done to, to build up this garden temple by Adam and Eve. So he was entrusting something to them to join him in, in the completion of. The same is true for our hearts. Yes, justification is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So justification, we don't participate in that part. That's the Lord actually granting us raw material. So our justification, if you will, is the changing of our heart from stone to flesh. But that heart needs to grow stronger. That heart needs to grow more understanding of the, the law of God that is written on it. That heart needs to uh, expand further into the image of Christ. And so we, like Adam, are called to an Eve who were called and entrusted with the garden, though they didn't do very well with it. We are called to participate in the cultivation, our sanctification, our maturation further in Christ. And so what we see here is that requires vigilance and that requires attentiveness, that it requires intentionality. There's, these things don't happen 
all right? They don't happen without us engaging them. And do note that, that the heart was a big deal as far as Christ was concerned because he said it many times, is out of the well springs of the heart flow either good or bad waters. And so that is for us to, to look at what is flowing from within us that is now coming outward. Notice he's moving from that which is inside of us to that which comes out of us, picking it back up in verse 24. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Christ says the same exact thing, that what comes out of your mouth, actually, and, and I would argue any and all forms of communication. So this is, this is where you need to take stock of all the ways in which you communicate, not just verbally, but in written form of all kinds. What are you communicating with what you're posting online? What are you communicating with how you text and respond to people or fail to? What are you communicating in the ways that you email and respond to different things? We need to pay attention to this because it's evidencing something that is, that is going on within our heart often. And so Jesus made it very clear is, is that we, we need to take stock of our speech so as to know what's going on in our own hearts, which is consistent with what the teacher is teaching here. And this is let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. 1 John 2 says something similar about our eyes and how they interact with the world and how that can lead us to temptation and sin or we, we can discipline them and, and make sure that they stay fixed on the, on the things that are most important. Colossians 3 says, keep your eyes fixed on the right hand of the Father where Christ is seated on high. Don't get tangled up in the things of the earth, remembering that your life is hidden on high and it'll be revealed in glory. That is important for us to stay fixed upon. It didn't mean that we're so heavenly minded, we're of no earthly good. No, that's exactly how we become of earthly good, by knowing the hope that we have in, in the resurrection, that when Christ returns, all things will be made new, us included. And so we are called to embody this, to, to, be, to be cognizant of our speech, all the ways we communicate, to be cognizant of what are we looking, what are we taking in, what are we engaging in. So it's, this isn't just casual looking. This would be reading, watching, um, uh, and engaging in the things of the world. Where is it that you are fixing your eyes? Because where your eyes go, it is often an indication of where your hope is or isn't. He goes on to say, ponder the path of your feet that all your ways will be sure. Notice he's dealt with the mouth, the eyes, and now the feet, where you go. You need to ponder your path, ponder the direction of your life, ponder the ways in which you will use your minutes and hours. Ponder the ways that, that are affecting how you live, think, and move. He says, do not swerve to the right or to the left, turn your foot away from evil. Again, this is just the, uh, the encouragement and admonition that the avoidance of temptation is our responsibility to look for the ways out, to know the different, know what's good and to know what's evil, which means we have to think things through. We can't just uncritically jump on any given bandwagon that goes running by. And we are Christians. We are the ones who ought to be the bandwagon, right? Who are leading the charge in terms of Righteousness, justice, and equity. The ones who have the greatest creativity to bring about the kind of change that will truly be a blessing for all. Instead of uh, allowing ourselves to be pulled in a thousand different directions or certainly divided within the church. Again, Satan is masterful in getting us to do his work for him, whether it's with our language, 
the way we talk about things, whether it's with our eyes, with the things we read, take in and pursue, or whether it's with our feet, where we go and, and what we jump on and what we follow after, as opposed to recognizing we've been called to lead in these things. We've been called to help lead others in these things as disciples who make disciples, the next generation that's coming. What would it look like if what our children saw in us was a group of people who were deeply concerned for the glory of God, which is best manifested in our righteousness, which means that we live according to his law, that we live according to his call to love neighbor. You do understand that, that, that righteousness, it, it always results in loving your neighbor more. 1 Corinthians 8 that was we dealt with in some part last week, that, that is, it's, it's crystal clear that's what he's saying. There's no righteousness apart from that which leads you to love your neighbor more, which means you're also going to be just and equitable with the people around you and be concerned that that is available to all. And I know there's a whole bunch of conversation around those terms right now. Many of you may have heard those in different keys Hear me rightly, I'm not picking a side. I'm, I'm seeking to be biblical, which already is its own determined, fixed thing. It's kind of like when Joshua met the angel of the Lord and he said, whose side are you on? He said, neither. It's a bad question. Whose side are you on? There's only really one side. As we learn from Revelation, Christ is victorious. So this isn't about picking a side or false binary. This is about actually living a biblical life that results in us being righteous, just, equitable, loving God, loving neighbor. Listen to what Derek Kidner says about this section of Scripture. He says, The constant repetition of such a call, which introduces nearly every paragraph in this section of the book, which what he's referring to there is, My son, be attentive to my words. That call is deliberate, for a major part of godliness lies in dogged attentiveness to familiar truths. So what Kinder's saying is there's things that are, that, are, that are true and they're so important that we have to keep coming back to them. Like the repetition, we should not grow tired of the, the call, the repetition to life more abundant, right? That's a dogged and familiar truth that we should never tire of God saying to us, Here's yet another opportunity for you to live life more abundant in Christ. Kidner continues, So a kind of medical inspection follows, in which one state of readiness in the various realms, symbolized by the heart, mouth, eyes, and feet, comes under review. So what Kidner's saying is, is that these, these dogged, uh, familiar, that this dogged attentiveness to familiar truths is an embodied reality. You can't just think about it. You've got to live it out. You have to test it out. You, you, you have to ask, what does this look like on an ordinary Wednesday afternoon, on a Friday morning, on a Saturday evening? What does this look like in my life? So the question I have is, what gets your attention? What gets your attention? What draws you and why? And is it good? Is it building you up? Is it leading you astray? Is it actually causing you to fear and love God more? Is it causing you to love your neighbor more with greater dignity? And then how are you proactively and vigilantly cultivating your embodied, resurrected newness of life? 
Romans 6 says we've been raised, we've died with Christ and we've been raised to newness of resurrected life and we're called to walk in that newness of life. Not This isn't just resurrected reality. It's not just for when Jesus returns. It starts now. And so how are you being proactive and vigilant in living that out and thinking that through and just even asking the question? Now, walking in newness of life doesn't mean that everything's amazing. It doesn't mean that every day is a carnival or a party. What it does mean is that, that nothing is wasted and that everything can have meaning. It does have meaning, actually. It's either going to lead us to greater meaning in our understanding of God and newness of life, or it's going to lead us into despair, chaos, and, and feeling meaningless. Both are very meaningful in the impact they have on how we live. And it's worth us thinking about how we are engaging that. So Proverbs 10, uh, 4, 10 through 27 teaches us that God's wisdom is a way of life to be protected, especially given how powerful sin is, that, that, that temptation can take over and rule us. So we have to protect it. And then God's wisdom is to be intentionally cultivated in and through our redeemed bodies. Our transformed hearts have been entrusted to us. We are stewards of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We are stewards of the gospel that has been entrusted to us. We are stewards of this resurrected life. And so how are we actively engaging in and embodying those truths? And so the longing for us is that we would, we would grow and mature just as the student is being called to grow and mature in these things. Join me in prayer. Father, thank you for resurrected newness of life for transformed hearts. Thank you that you provide a way out of every temptation in great grace and mercy. Thank you that you have given us the means of grace to struggle well, to grow. Thank you that we have access to all of the heavenly blessings. Thank you that we are forgiven even, even when we fail to access those things as we are in union with Christ. But thank you, Lord, that, that you continue to say to us, be attentive, son or daughter of the God Most High. Thank you that you don't grow weary of keeping these familiar truths in front of us, that we, you so long for us to walk in life more abundant and experience your presence and to taste of, of the beauty of eternity that you refuse to give up. God, would you strengthen our weakening knees, would you strengthen our ailing hands? Would you help us uh, to not grow weary in doing this great good? Would you shape and form us further into the image of Christ, which means we would grow in righteousness, justice, and equity for your glory and for the good of this world. In Christ's name, amen.